0: A special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, oh, yeah. two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it? J K. You get it.
1: That's what I thought was so funny. It's
0: not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the
1: voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Alright, it is another podcast day, Jane and Keith, thinking to get Tuesday, how to catch a bus ride down to lovely Spacious, it is Spacious, I don't know if it's lovely, but it is Spacious, making Georgia, where ETSU took on the Mercer Bears last night, we recorded on Thursday, we will recap that, we're going to talk about not just that game, but a three game stretch for ETSU that could determine how their seating goes for the Southern Conference tournament on the men's side, And for the ladies, I think this is a huge two-game stretch starting tonight as we record again on Thursday. ETSU, Furman, and then Wofford because it's a big stretch for the women playing Furman and Wofford. Same thing for Wofford. Are they a contender or a pretender with the two games, Chattanooga, ETSU? I'm Jay East Keith. How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing great. January is over.
1: It is. January
0: is – it felt like it took forever to get us through January. The first week kind of rolled right by and then with all the weather and just the grind of the game. It just felt like it took an eternity. January was like three months long, it felt like. So I'm glad it's in the past, and we got a phenomenal night of SoCon basketball to end it, which will start with ETSU uh, hard hats on top of hard hats last night for the Bucks. In a 54 49 win, where they posted a 50% offensive rebounding rate. Karan Boyd had five offensive boards. The team had 15 on 30 opportunities. Jaden Seymour, huge number offensively in the first half. Ebi Asamoa got the three point shots going in the second half. I thought it was a win where everybody contributed something, something meaningful to the dub. For ETSU in a game that they absolutely had to have, to have any hope of climbing out of the bottom four that plays on Friday night in Asheville in the first round. That's a great road win. Uh, and, and to slow it down, to frustrate Mercer, you know, McCreary didn't I don't think he had a particularly good game. He finished with four points, one of six from the field. This was a win the Bucks had to have, and it wasn't gonna be easy. You knew Mercer at some point, if they hung around long enough, and they kind of did. Bucks got it out to twelve with eight minutes and change left, but Mercer never really went away. You knew they were going to hit a couple shots. It was going to get uncomfortable. How did the Bucks close it out? They got the job done and with only three made free throws, three of four from the free throw line. That's just the second time
1: I think that's happened in like the last decade.
0: So, a good, good, solid win for ETSU overall.
1: I think it was interesting with the, again, conference play. Uh, i to talk to, you know, Coach Savage just to remind them and then, you know, some of the players. Like, hey, you getting – some of these non-conference games were getting out of control, 50, 60 fouls, you know, 40 fouls. I was like, you just, you just don't get that many in conference. Like, they, they kind of let you slog it out, and they always kind of have. So I was very curious because it's generally, for the most part, home games, the same Southern Conference officials – but it was just – its just, and non-conference I think is called a little differently as well than, than conference games. But it was a situation last night where I think there was only like 21, 22 fouls. Six of them were on purpose at the end of the first half or the second half. So there was only like 15 fouls called the whole game. I mean, it was – and it was not a game where it was sit back in zone, pass it around, and nobody's trying to get the ball inside. I mean, it was – It was physical. It was. And Mercer plays that way, and that's the way, you know, Coach Greg Gary is, is kind of brought that a different system than what Bob Hoffman did at Mercer. It's nothing new to what the league has seen, especially in kind of how Mike Young and Wofford, you know, that that was a perfect Wofford ETSU game Mm -hmm. in the heyday of Mike Young, a 54-49 game. You can look through the books and see plenty of those lower scoring, just not a lot going on and just being grabbed and manhandled. So the last time ETSU
0: won a game where they made three or fewer free throws, was November twentieth, two thousand twelve, at the Buck Dome, in a 59-57 win over Charleston Southern, down in North Charleston. I believe Tom Conrad was on the call with you for that game. Uh, he was back at his old stomping grounds. Was that rounds. the
1: John Walton game winner? By the way, uh, did, you, did, you do that? did you get that far? I think is that, that might have been a Johnny Walton game winner.
0: I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there haven't been we haven't, we haven't played at Charleston Southern very much, and I was
1: I was in the studio for that game. Memory serves.
0: Uh, I'll verify.
1: but well, I think but you're right. I, the, I have a picture of Tom Conrad pointing towards the one banner hanging in the Buck Dome because that <laughs> is his banner, that <laughs> is still hanging there to this day. Um, um, uh, and that was, I'm pretty sure, I think, because that was right off. We did the weird Troy, Charles, or something crazy. We played at Troy that year too. And John That's Walton right. even uh, transferred. To, John Walton played a White, I believe, White Station High School, one of those uh, Travis Strong type. Uh, Taylor Taylor, a couple of good name drops here. As we, I love name dropping Whenever we get chance. Lester
0: Wilson scored 26. Ooh, a boy, Lester! Uh, Kenard Gadsden Gilliard posted 12 and five rebounds, and G. G.
1: Walton hit the winner with 3.7. Yeah, seven yeah. Left.
0: look, don't ever question me.
1: 2012. We've not talked about that game probably since it happened. No, that's what I'm saying. Old Johnny Walton. All right, uh, we digress. Um, three free throws. So two free throws in the first half. I think Seymour got fouled, hit one of two, and then there was not another free throw shot until, what, three, five, no, four, four or five seconds ago in the game. Mm-hmm. I think the only other crazier stat would have been when ETSU had a two-game stretch where Georgia was 0 of two from the free throw line, and the very next game, Milligan didn't attempt one, <laughs> and, and that's when I sent Elias, Sports Bureau, if you're a fan of the podcast, if I heard this one, Mike Gallagher was with me, but actually called Elias, got got a hold of somebody, and said, when's the last time modern basketball an opposing team's free throw percentage was zero and zero? And to their credit, after about thirty minutes I got a call back and they said, In college there's no way to tell because of all the systems aren't filed like the you know right, black right, scores right. and you really, really can't tell but the guy kinda of chuckled and go, I, I would venture to say you're right, but we're not gonna say you're right. right? And I said, I get that, but that's that, fair. That's fair. I, I agree. that, And that was the only time I'm, that I've seen that before. Free and again, the, the stat we love to keep up with, and I've talked about a lot when the opposing team makes more free throws than you make, the chances of winning go down astronomically. And sometimes they're an exception to the rule. And last night was an exception to the rule with DTSU only taking four free throws. And I think uh, seven to 12, uh, the Mercer bears finished, but I, I I don't want to talk about Mercer for half a second because I don't know what their identity is right now. I know McCreary missed a lot of time. He had a concussion, then he had the flu. He got sick, yeah. Very very, very bad bout with flu that took him out for a couple of games. And and, Igamazi, I have no idea where he went. He played two minutes. Like he was a starter, so was McCreary. Now both those guys. McCreary nineteen minutes, a very pedestrian one for six looked a little disinterested, to be honest with you. Inge played two minutes. I mean, that was a guy that, you know, Jackson State was putting up big numbers and earlier this year put up some big numbers and had a pretty good game against ETSU in the first can, match. Can yeah. I postulate
0: a postulation? Post, postulate? Postulate a postulate? Can I hypothesize my yes. hypothesis? Yes. The loss at Citadel broke this team.
1: And that's well you know you say that but then they turn right around and won by double figures right I just I just think that
0: that's something and, and yeah I mean you can you can bounce back a little bit but I, I think at some point something in them I mean that's when fair. you lose a game like that it might take a little while to show but something in you where you expect to win that game you lead big in the second half and you collapse. Something that, that can be, especially when you had a really rough non-conference season and things haven't gone super great the whole way through and you've had injuries, you've had illness, you've had all this adversity, you lose that game that way, it, it takes something out of you for the stretch run. And we might see this, now it could just be a fluke, right? This could be the fluke, but I don't know that it is, uh, that Mercer just kind of fades. And they're sitting at the bottom of the SoCon, and they're scrapping with VMI and the Citadel to stay out of the bottom of the league. Um, it certainly feels that way right now, given that you know the Citadel has a win over them. If the Citadel had won last night, Mercer would be in ninth right now. I mean, they're not in a great position. They know it. And at some point, you just you shut down mentally. And if you can fight through that, you could come back and do something. But if you don't, and and if, if you don't have um, the guys in the room that are willing to put that on their shoulders and say, follow me, I'm taking us back to the top, kicking and screaming if I have to, then you won't go back to the top. I think... That is probably the most important element of Karan Boyd's impact on ETSU. This guy is only a sophomore. I think we forget that sometimes because he's a transfer, because he came into the portal, and, and also eligibility is soup right now in the NCAA and college hoops. Karan Boyd is a sophomore. He's 20 years old. This guy, just lunch pail, hard hat, vintage, works his butt off guy, and the team feeds off that. He is clearly additive to this team based on his offensive rebounding and his ability to influence the pace of the game. His defensive awareness and acumen and execution help put all of the bucks in the right positions to defend guys. And if they're in the wrong position, they still defend it really hard. Gabe Sisk got matched up on Jalen McCreary more than once last night and held his own. He, did give, he, he fouled a couple times, but he held his own. And when you have a player like what – and think about the bucket right at the end, right? He steals one under the basket after a defensive rebound. Steals it away from – who was the shooter? Was it uh, Thomas? Um, I can't remember. The the curly-haired guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. Keonis. I don't
1: think it was. It was the shooter, the other one. I guess Dave Thomas. It would be be Thomas, yeah. Because Dave is –
0: I can't remember who it was, but I think it was Dave Thomas. It might have been Kenyonis, but I think it was Dave Thomas. Steals it right away from him, takes it back up, and lays it in with the right hand. And ETSU goes up, was that, five at that
1: point? I mean. Yeah, because Holt Holt tried to shovel pass inside, and then Boyd stepped right in there and ripped it away and layup. Yeah, Yeah, they go up five with a minute 11 left. Yes.
0: You might not win that game without that bucket. That like Karan Boyd does things that make this team better, make the players around him better, and give the team a real guy to get behind and push. You know, this team's got plenty of talent. Jaden Seymour's a ton of talent. Ebi asamoa has got talent. Kimari Peterson's got talent. But sometimes you just need that guy that lights the fire. And Karan Boyd is that guy for this team. And I don't know that Mercer has that guy. So... They're they're a team that could be pretty inconsistent the rest of the way, and and I would not be surprised if, you know, they lose another one that just makes you go, uh, and that could be it.
1: To say the uh, faithful were restless uh, in Macon, and there's an older couple that a couple years ago came up to me, and I just got done talking to Bob Hoffman, and then ironically Bobby Lamb walked by and I talked to Coach Lamb. Yeah. And the older couple of gentlemen said, Hey, you know, you guys got great staff. We love what you're doing with Coach Sanders up there. Obviously, Coach Forbes doing great. He's like, Yeah, you know, once this year comes to an end and we get rid of both of our bobbies, we'll be better. And I kind of just chuckled. And then, sure enough, a few months later, both were gone. And I was like, Holy cow, how did that guy know? Um, that same fan was there. <laughs> and that same fan tried to approach me. And it was funny because Coach Savage and Coach Gary are tight, and Savage says, you know, hey, I just want to let you guys know, because uh, they were saying, hey, coach, nice game, you did a great job. He goes, you guys got a heck of a coach. said he, he does a great job. There's some things that haven't worked out, but he, like he, he's a great coach. And it's not another, and the guy him, because well, that would be your opinion. <laughs> and then uh, he turned to say something to me, and I was like, buddy, I, I heard you last time. I don't need to hear it again. Yeah. So, I, it's not – and I hate to so – and this year four for Coach Gary. And to be honest, in today's world, four years is a long time, it seems like, right? Uh, mm-hmm. to, to figure out what you are going to be. Um, and some of the losses they've taken, um, you know, get swept by ETSU to the Mercer fan base who are looking at a team that they see, quote unquote, equal to Mercer. Now, I think we believe as Buck fans that ETSU should be better than what the record is, but things are what they are, right? Eventually, mm-hmm. you are what your record says you are. Getting swept by the Bucks is probably not going to be a great thing for Mercer. And they didn't, look, they didn't look the part. I think that's the scary thing was for if you're a Mercer fan, McCreary looked disinterested. Some of the turnovers were they just, just didn't catch the ball. They are just throwing it in and out of the hands. There's no sense of urgency. I, I, think, I think it's a pretty pretty bad sign. Mercer, and it was a day where they were celebrating Mike Jacobs, the new head coach, and they rolled him out there, um, one of the media yeah. timeouts. Now, I'll up, say again, I, I,
0: I thought that was a fantastic hire. A great I mean, hire. There there were a couple of guys in the southeast in D2 that I thought should be D1 head coaches. Mike Jacobs is one of them. The other one is still in D2, but he better not be there for long. Somebody's going to make that move. Yeah, and then you know, and then
1: eventually they rolled out the lacrosse team, and they rolled out the uh, yeah. – Gibson, Coach Gibson, you know, for baseball who is you know, a mainstay there and has been great for, for Mercer. So there's a lot of things um, in Mercer's favor for Coach Gary. I think he's, he's got to turn this thing around pretty quickly. And, you know, again, they got opportunities. And I just can't – they either run out to a big lead and can't hang on to it or they seem to be scrapping from behind and get right there and can't quite get over the finish line. And, again, we talked about this before. You take six points or less, give or take, in basketball. It's a little tough to say one possession, but say six six points or less. And if you win more of those games, right? You know, you go and I'm just making it up. You got ten of them. You go eight and two. Then you're going to be way above five hundred, generally speaking. If you're five and five, you're about five hundred. And if you're two and eight, you're usually not having a good year. If you look at Mercer's record, that's what that's where they are. You look at ETSU's record; they're kind of in the middle now of those tight basketball games with the win last night. Yep. And overall, right, they're 11-11. To, to Murray Bartu's quote who gave me this stat, the Bucks are 11-11, and in those kind of six-point games, they are 500. And so it, it, it kind of works out yeah. um, that way. I and thought it, you were going
0: to say it's hard to win on the road. No,
1: no, I'm not, yeah, fans know that because they've been ingrained <laughs> in their mind on that. Uh, and, you know, kind of played out a little bit um, the opposite last night Is three of the four road teams um, actually won. Or no, four of the five. I'm sorry. I forgot uh, UNCG. Yep. So four of the five teams. The only home team to win was Sanford, which brings the stand. And, and think about this, and this is where I want to kind of transition into the next three-game stretch for the Bucs. Yes. The next three games you're looking at. Citadel, V-Tissue's got a good shot there. Then you're talking about Wofford at home. you think they have a good shot there. And then they get Furman. And if V-Tissue were to win those, now all of a sudden they're 6-6. Six and six. Wofford's got a big stretch because they're at Western at ETSU. Western's lost four of five, so Western Wofford's at five and four. One of those teams has to lose and go to five and five if ETSU were able to beat the Citadel. All of a sudden, they're a game behind, and if it's Wofford, then they play them head-to-head Then boom. boom, boom, I mean, ETSU could very quickly, where they were staring that seven seed in the face, or seven, eight, depending on how Mercer finished, um, now all of a sudden, if they could rattle off two, three wins in a row here, ETSU... Not a lot for that, and then it could be a dogfight, especially because right now teams seem to be saying to Western Carolina, hey, Wolbright, you do whatever you want. You had 36 last than- night. You have as much as you want. Yep. We're, We're going to stop everybody else. Yes. You can have 40. We don't care.
0: We'll, we'll get to the other teams in a little bit. before okay. Before we transition, um, you're right. I think this is – we talked about the start the start of the prove-it stretch, right, for ETSU was, was Mercer. Uh, where it was gut-check time. They had to start win, rattling off some wins in order to get back in the fight in the middle of the pack in the SoCon. Um, and we're going to see that continue on Saturday against the Citadel team that took Berman to overtime. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Wofford is a team that is shooting the ball lights out right now from beyond the arc. Teams just cannot... It doesn't matter how, you, how well you contest. The ball movement's there. It was popping on the perimeter last night for the Terriers against Samford. And that keeps them in ball games that maybe other aspects of their team are not necessarily. Uh, if, if it's a different type of game, they're not necessarily built to withstand. But the three is keeping them in the it. If you give them open looks, they will bury them. If you give them their second choice shots, they will bury them, and they're feeling it right now. So they're a team that's going to be challenging to beat. You have to bog the game down almost and really, uh, uh, you know, run them off the line, like make them attack the rim because that's where I think their weakness is if, if there is one with that team. And there is one with that team, and I think it's attacking the rim. Um, then you get Furman, and Furman's reeling a little bit. Furman lost a game, uh, what, two nights, what, uh, what last Saturday? They lost last Saturday yeah, Wofford to. Uh, to Wofford, and then they did nearly Did you see lost. how they won
1: last night?
0: I, I did. I, we'll talk about it. They okay. nearly lost to the Citadel, um, if not for uh, somebody that I want to talk about at length. But, This is a big opportunity for ETSU over these next three games. You win these three, you're back to 500, and you're feeling – I mean, suddenly Wofford is within your reach. You you grab a win over Furman. It's going to help you out in potential tiebreakers. And you pretty well put the clamps on keeping Mercer, Sid, and VMI behind you if you win these next three games. Uh, because I don't think any of those teams is getting to six, and, and you've already got head-to-head tiebreakers, over, head-to-head over Mercer. you got a win over Citadel, win over VMI, and you have a win over Furman that those two teams won't have. So I really think that, that this is – you're right. This is a proven stretch. This is a great opportunity, and they got it off to a great start last night. I want to talk about a guy. I am all the way in on the Gabe Sisk hype train because this guy – is finding ways to contribute to wins that don't involve what he was known for in high school. When you are a scorer in high school, especially 2000 points at a place like Ballard where you know there's a lot of tradition and the guys that are at that level are guys that go on to have very successful college careers like Allen Houston, there's an expectation that it translates immediately. And you have to go be a scorer at the next level in order to demonstrate your value. And it never, I'm, I'm saying I'm never, not, not, people say never say never, it never works that way. You demonstrate your value with your effort on rebounding, your defensive intensity, your ability to find your teammates. Now there were a couple times where Sisk, I thought, could have pulled the trigger on a shot and passed up a good look to try to get a teammate the ball and maybe shouldn't have. But it, it, he didn't score any points last night. But he had five rebounds. He had to defend what is ostensibly Mercer's number one player in McCreary, and he did a great job. Uh, He helped ETSU win that basketball game without scoring a point. And when you can do that as a freshman, when you can play in that role, that tells me that you are growing into a more complete basketball player because the shot-making is going to come. It's going to happen. It's already happened for him a little bit. I mean, when Sis gets open, looks, he knocks him down, he Think about the Sanford game where he hit a ton of great shots. Think about VMI in the first half; he kind of keeps the Bucks afloat a little bit, right? You know, VMI goes on a run, and ETSU has to muster a counterpunch to stay in front. And you know, the Cys hit a couple big shots; he had seven points in the first half. If you are contributing to success as a freshman, and it doesn't have any, independent of your offensive output if you're finding other things you can do if you're guarding well if you're rebounding well if you're even if you're just attacking the glass hard and making the other team strain to keep control of an offensive or defensive rebound those are things that are leading indicators of a player that's going to be successful at the division 1 level Gabe Sisk is a huge part of ETSU's future and I'm really looking forward to his growth that's a guy that has stood out to me over the last three, four games as somebody you're really going to like the, the, the cut of his jib by the time you get to late February, and he really starts to develop into a more complete ball player.
1: I like him a lot. I yeah, like I, him a whole lot. I, you know, that was kind of funny because we were sitting there recording the pregame, and as soon as we get done, uh, Siska's just you know dribbling, stretching, whatever, in front of us, and Coach Savage says, so you, you a one-hit wonder, or you got more in the tank? <laughs> and he was like, what? He said, you wonder, I mean, you had a career high. Are you going gonna, you gonna to continue to get better, or was that a one-off? And so I'm thinking about that, and then after the game, you know, Coach Savage is talking about what a lift Gabe Sisk was, which tells me, yeah, he didn't score, but same thing you're saying. Like, Coach Savage understands the value of what Gabe brought, and every – Everybody on a team has a role, right? Gabe yeah. says because freshman year, I don't think anybody was saying, you know what, young man, we expect you with all those points at Ballard to come in and you give us 11 a night. I'm not thinking anybody. I think somebody was like, hey, if you can give us 15 to 20 minutes, actually, honestly, probably 8 to 12 minutes is probably what they thought to start with. can think us 8 to 12 minutes as a freshman and you don't yeah, mess but, up. Because if you're be trying right. to
0: score 12 a game as a freshman, you're probably giving up 24.
1: Oh, it's, Yes, no doubt. Because, I, you know, how much – you know, I'm not knocking Ballard High School, but when those guys score in 2000, how much are they really playing defense and how much can they get away with? They're just better than the next guy on average. I'm just bigger and faster right? and yeah. more athletic. So you can get away with a, a lot there, and it happens at, you know, every level. I mean, that's the one thing. You know, I, I think I've talked to coaches about it. I was like, oh, you know, this one guy said – you know, I talked to my buddy, he said he can't play defense, and he said, oh, no nobody worries about defense. Like, we'll teach that in college. Like, that's – we're worried about, you know, what can they do? Can he rebound? Can he score? Can he do blah blah blah. But we're not worried about defense. Like no hardly are we ever watching that. Great if he can play it, but nobody really really cares. So Sis coming in and they trust him to play a few different positions, I think that's huge. Yes. Karan Boyd now being back and making up for a lot of heels that can play a few different positions. And I'll say this too, Alan Struthers being healthy mm-hmm. and now he can give between him and Karan Boyd. And probably even Siss, they can all give extra minutes of rest to Kimari Peterson, and I think he's looked more fresh the last couple of games down the stretch than he's looked. At, uh, what was that? Uh, great example is the Furman game, right? He had to play 39 minutes of the Furman. Game. Yeah. In the first half, he scores. Peterson scored 14, 16 points, helped the Geese to 0 for his first nine shooting, because that was his assignment. Where normally Karam Boyd would have picked up. Second half, a couple of points for Peterson. The Geese started to get loose. And I think it started to show like hey he's he, he had a he had to exert a lot of energy and had to go majority of the time and didn't get any breather. Nobody's helping him out, guarding the best player doing blah blah blah. So I think there are some things that are going to help Kimari Peterson as it gets down the stretch. Emiasomo has now gone three straight games of four or more threes. Remember he had yes. a three game stretch where he just made four period. Yeah. Now he's starting to heat up a little bit and if you can get, you know, twelve to 16 points out of Eby Samoa and he can stretch and 50% shooting 4 of 8 efficient from beyond the arc I think that was a good sign Jaden Seymour after two straight bad first half as far as scoring the basketball came out like a, a house on fire and was able to set the tone and was
0: great running the floor as well with you know just setting the target for Peterson to hit in stride for some transition buckets and then return the favor to Q on one in the second half like, he heeded up the floor, and, and, and Peterson was cutting from the cutting in from the left side and caught it in stride and laid it in. And, and just some of the, the long passes that they had in transition were beautiful to watch. And, I, I, yeah, the, the, those guys are, are the star power. They bring it every single night, and ETSU's got a chance to win it. To your point about Struthers, I think he takes so much. Uh, when, when you talk about Kimari and what he has to exert defensively, Struthers is such a great like twitchy athlete on the perimeter that he can go guard some guys and he can go chase guys and he'll fight through screens and he'll do a lot of stuff. Is he a huge scorer? No. But if he just has a jumper, uh, if he's a scratch golfer, so to speak, on his jump shot and, and it's enough that defense is after a he can play a lot. He played 22 minutes last night. He scored four points, played a ton. Of, uh, put in a ton of great reps on defense. That's all you need from Alan Struthers. To give Peterson the rest he needs to be sure that he's fresh for the back nine, and he may have
1: missed his calling. I don't know if you saw that one-handed interception, lack of a better term, um, full extension, ball going out of bounds. They were trying to lob it to the big guy, hold, and he goes up and just kind of palm the basketball out of the air. And all I could think about was, can he I, play corner? Yeah, that's a hundred percent what I was thinking. He's <laughs> physical. He's got the twitch. He's got all that. I'm sitting there going, holy cow. <laughs> like, that was one of the more. There were a couple of athletic plays that, that, that you know, kind of made you go, hmm, look at that guy. And that one was Struthers, and the other one was the first alley-oop that Seymour was able not only to bring down, but the Tomahawk. There were two beat writers uh, for the uh, Mercer Bears, and as soon as that alley-oop hit and I started to jot down the two points and I kind of look over, both those guys were gasping. Hitting each other like you would on a couch when you're watching with your buddy, like oh my god, did you see that? Did you see that guy? And that's how you know you've done something special. When I think you get media members of other teams to kind of go oof, <laughs> like that's that was something. Um, yep. And so Seymour, I think, showed that. So again, all coming together, a 720 point game. All this, all this season has not had a 20 point game there. And then I think the rebounding that struggled when Boyd went out. The last three games, uh, maybe four games, really. uh, I think ETSU's done a much better job on the glass. It is a collective effort. Yes. Last night they had six guys with five or more rebounds, and
0: fifteen offensive rebounds on thirty opportunities. Fifty percent offensive rebound rate is stupid good. That's that's ridiculous. That never happens. And when you're a team that wants to play at a more deliberate pace, Brooks Savage has told us on air and off, he wants to slow things down a little bit with this team, right? Because, okay, you're not as heavy on, on depth as you would like to be. You're not, you're not Samford where you have, you know, an eight player practice squad and all that. You're not that team. You've got to slow it down to make the most of your guys' minutes and to play more efficiently, um, Being able to control the offensive glass like that really lets you control the tempo of a basketball game, and 15 offensive boards on 30 chances is outstanding. Boyd is the talisman, I think, that galvanizes the rest of this team to attack the offensive glass for sure.
1: Three straight offensive rebound games of 15 or more, and that's going to – I mean, they're already leading
0: the league in
1: offensive rebounds and offensive rebounds per game. So, because they – there are times, let's be honest, Keith, they have trouble scoring the basketball. Yes, and those big
0: offensive rebound numbers can be because you missed a lot of shots. It is,
1: but in the same token, you can make up for ills because you can get a rebound put back. We saw last night a yep. big rebound kick out for three with Seymour. Yep. So there's able to, to, to get points and make up for some of those ills if you're not particularly a great shooting team. But just the pressure puts on the defense. And Bruce Trambarger was here talking with us. He would say, now all of a sudden. You know, you get demoralized. You play good defense for 28 seconds. You get a, a maybe not a particularly great shot. They get the offensive rebound. Now you got to guard for another 20 seconds, yeah. and now you got to do whatever. And he tissue had a couple possessions where they had two offensive rebounds and didn't go scoreless, but a minute ten off the clock of teams having to play defense and not having the basketball. And I think that does tend, especially when you're trying to make a comeback. I think that does wear. It wears
0: you. you down. It wears you down for sure, for sure. All right, let's. Last night was an awesome night in SoCon basketball. I, I think we should talk about that coming up on the J and Key Show. All right, SoCon hoops. It was awesome to watch last night. The basketball, she was a good, you know, I have been angry. The last few days, I just been really in a, in a rut. I didn't, I was angry and I didn't know what I was angry at. Was I angry at myself? Was I angry at you? Was I angry at the universe? Was I angry at whatever? I don't know. Um, watching SoCon hoops and ETSU's win was obviously a big part of it, but watching SoCon hoops last night and the, the great finishes that we got to so many basketball games was just delightful. It, it, it soothed, it soothed the soul, right? It was, it was a salve for the soul. Was it, uh, was it, was it spir- was, what was it, what was the the Soggy Bottom Boys? Was it Spiritual Songs to save the Soul? That's what I got last night from SoCon Basketball. On the final night of the first half of the season, um, everybody delivered. And particularly, I want to talk about, we've already talked at length about ETSU Mercer, so kind of set that one to the side. I want to talk about Furman and the Citadel. The Bulldogs led that game by 18 in the first half. They led by 12 at the break, and they had the lead. In the final seconds of regulation. And J.P. Pagese. This is the third time this season that Pagese has hit a three with less than one second remaining in regulation. Either for the tie or the win for Furman. He's doing it again. He's making a habit of it. Uh, And Furman goes to overtime and they get the job done. They get the win on the road at El Cid. And well, uh,
1: pull one out of the fire. I'm gonna start uh, before the one second three by Pagies. Up three, minute thirty two to go. Citadel has two front ends of one on one, one on ones. and ones. Twenty four seconds to go. Madison Durr misses the front, and then Quentin Malor Brown misses another one, and then the Pegues. And then you you knew it at that point. Mm-hmm. You get a couple of chances as the okay. underdog to knock off and get a win, and you miss a couple of one and ones and you don't get that second possession, and it was a killer. And Pegues kind of has had the flair for the dramatic. He hit the shot against Virginia and the NCAA tournament. With 3.2. He was with a tournament MVP. He hit
0: one against Tulane with point eight, and Tulane actually won that game. Um, but he hit that one for the, for the lead, and then Tulane came back down the floor and hit like a, a half-court heave to force overtime. And then he hit another one with point .8, I think, against Western Carolina for the win. And then he hit another one with point eight last night against the Citadel.
1: So, I, when Alex Hunter was there, and everyone probably got tired of me talking, Alex Hunter was kind of like the Caron I'm talking about he's, he's not the best player on the team. He's not the MVP, but he's the most important player. Mm-hmm. Because when Caron was out, we saw what ETSU is with and without. And I say Alex Hunter is that. He's not the best player. I don't know that he – he could make made an argument, maybe the best point guard to just a turnover – was doing there. But he was the most important key to that Furman team. So a lot of people made a jump. We probably think same thing about J.P. Pegues. No. J.P. Pegues is a big time player that everyone sees. I didn't think people saw Alex Hunter or Karan Boyd for what they are. J.P. Pegues has put his name not just all league but a chance at one of the best players in the league. Mm-hmm. And so that's different and they're different type players. Maybe they play the same position so it's it's kinda there. He's not in the same breath as Alex Hunter because JP yeah, is better than Alex Hunter. Alex Hunter did things that you can't quantify that led to wins that's hard if you don't really understand what he meant to the team, kinda like Karan Boyd when I kept telling people this in the yeah. fan you know, some ETSU fans said, like, What is average What do you mean? I said, Well you don't get it then. If you don't see what Karan Boyd meant to the team, you don't get it. You don't get what Alex Hunter meant. Yeah. Pegese is in a whole different level. Pagese is in a player of the year type level, and so he's not the same because you do see his value when he was out, yes, but he wins games on his own. He takes things on his back and says, I am going to win this.
0: Pagese is the player of the year. I have, I'm have. i going to get a ballot at the end. I believe I'm going to get a ballot. I don't know for sure if I'm going to get a ballot or not, but if I get a ballot, J.P. Pagese is my player of the year because you can point to games, plural, demonstrate, they do not win those games without J.P. Piggies. And you can look at Walbright and say, well, you know, he's this, he's that. Yeah, sure, but Walbright can score... Walbright does score 32 in a loss. I mean, he goes off, he goes bonkers, and teams just let him do whatever he wants. But are we, are we talking about the stats? Are we talking about the impact? Because to me a guy like Brown Jones is impactful for UNCG Pegis, though is the most impactful player in the SOCON and to underscore that point look at the start of conference play for Furman when Pegis wasn't playing because he was injured they started 0-2 without him and they've won what six of the last seven dude that's that's my guy Right there. As, as, as far as player of the year is concerned, I'm going with J.P. Pegues, if you're asking me who's, who it is, who it needs to be. He is, I think, the best representation of uh, the, the, the ability of SOCON players to deliver wins for their teams.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough to argue. Uh, and again, I think I, I think it would be a fun exercise. Maybe beginning of next week, we do our first half all SoCon teams, men and women. Just for lack of better, just pick ten ten players, and you could say first team, second team. Maybe we break it down. But just who's the the, the first and second team all SoCon? I'd be curious to see, you know, kind of where we fall in. Some of the some of the people are going to be no brainers. I mean, Baggies, you mentioned it. Brown, Jones, Wilbright, I'll, I mean, they're going to make everybody's list. But I'm curious as we kind of get in that intermingle of past like three. Mm-hmm. There's some that you probably can make a good argument for here or there. But I'm just kind of curious to see um, on the men and women's side where yeah. it is. But, yeah, if you just go by points and rebounds, and Wilbright's going to win hands down because if you just look at that, and that's all you mm-hmm. do. Now, if Western continues to fall – and Furman continues to rise, that's going to give J.P. I think, a little more because the SOCON does have two things going for it. They love if you're on the, the winning team that wins it, they love to give you that if you're the best player on the best team. And then sometimes it's like, well, you had the best stats. And it's, but for the most part, best player, best team.
0: Well, I just say, hypothetically, let's just say, for the sake of argument, Furman wins the league by a game. They, win the regu- they, they surge ahead and they win the regular season title by a game. You can point to the Western Carolina game and the Citadel game as games that piggy specifically won them. They win the SoCon because of him in that scenario.
1: I'll say the same thing when you were filling out the football ballot. Yep. And we got down to a couple different – I had some I wild I don't, I don't,
0: choices on offensive line. Well, yeah. but
1: I, on the – specifically defense side of the ball, we were in the secondary. And I'm not going to say players' names just out of respect for that. But we – Narrowed it down, and we kind of agreed. And we got the one here. Like, I can't decide between this and this. And I, I told you this theory, and this would be the same thing here. If I said you had Woolbright, the Geese, right now, best player on your team, you had to pick one to go on your team. The best player, who do you trust more? My guess is you would say J.P. Geese
0: because he's the jump shooter. But yeah, I mean, there's there's
1: more to it than just that. Um, but if you but I I mean, if you're nice. if you're starting a SoCon team right this second, both those guys are standing side by side. the Geese that would be my theory too and that's how I kinda go with it a lot of times I was like, Well this guy's got this stat, he has got this stat, empty similar stats. I just look at it okay. And for our example there, I said, okay, you've you've got, you know, fourth and goal from the 8 they gotta throw the ball, it's number one receiver versus this cornerback, this cornerback, who do you take? And you didn't hesitate to that I said, boom, the net you got. Yeah. That, that would be nothing. thing. You got ten seconds left. We gotta win the game. Who are you giving the ball to? Who do you have the most trust with? The guy that's
0: hit four game-tying and game-winning shots in the last five seconds of a game, in the last, what, 21 game, 22 games? Yeah, and
1: and I will say we're also kind of splitting hairs a little bit because there are three players that I think are head and shoulders. Yes, it's not even close. And and Wilbur, Ike, Browns, Jones, and in whatever order you want to put them in, I don't think it's – I think they're the three best players in the league. I think a chore chore is a nice story. I think he's an all-league guy. I don't think he's an MVP – to the imagination. That would be one I could see people kind of throwing his name out there.
0: If J- if Jermaine Marshall had been healthy, I, I think
1: he's he might have been a so mix. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Mix. No, 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 I see where you're going with that. Yes, I, I agree, I he's but he's he was, he's not, he's out, and he's
0: been out for a protracted period. I'm, I don't even know if he's going to play. Have you, I haven't heard No, I, I tried ever. to ask a few folks down there, and they're
1: pretty tight-lipped on whatever's going on. That's so. not good. Yeah, that's usually a longer period of time. Furman, when I passed around, they're like, "Yeah, this game, this game." So, you know, same thing when board, "Yeah, I'll be back." So, you kind of tell when they're like, "Yeah, I don't know," or "There's no." Then that tells me he maybe got longer.
0: Yes, uh, but a chore, a chore's tour, is a good player. Um, yeah, I, that that's somebody who I think though. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a guy. I'll give you a sleeper guy, a guy that I think should be on the All con team that probably won't be, and um, I've watched him now for two games extensively. One in person one on TV and I think this guy is really really good and that's Rylan Jones the point guard for Sanford. Rylan Jones does not light it up on the score sheet he had a couple huge threes against ETSU to, to help them win it. I mean the first one was just you know 28 footer from the right side and the next one left side goes straight up off the back of the rim and drops but it's his it's his ability to get them in their offense. It's his ability to manipulate defenses. He, he created a chore, a chore's game winner last night. A chore needed to be in the right spot. He had good vision, but it was Jones that used the clock, worked the clock, then got in deep, made you think he was getting in too deep, pulled the help defender away from a chore, and that left a chore wide open for the game-winning layup. And if you don't know how to manipulate a defense, if you don't have 75 games of starting experience between Utah and Utah State, you don't know how to create that winning basket. You don't get the glory, but you sure did play a major role in it. And I think in terms of facilitators and shot creators, Ryland Jones is among the best in mid-major basketball right now, as he should be, as you would expect him to be. He's a guy that's not going to jump out. I don't even know what he's averaging points-wise. It's not very high. Um, But he's a player that is integral to Sanford's success. You don't win 17 in a row without a guy like Ryland Jones running your offense for you. And you definitely can't thrive at the tempo without somebody like Ryland Jones.
1: And that's sort of one of the things about Sanford style they play. Sometimes their numbers are deceiving, right, because they're playing 12 guys. Nobody's really playing more than 22 minutes, give or take. So some of the things they do in 22 minutes of action, I think if you said, okay, if they're getting 30 like a lot of these other players are, or 32, 33 minutes, yep. and you start to think about it, we, we extrapolate that out. And then like, yeah, um, uh, yeah. you, and you, you just
0: do the per 40s. I
1: mean, yeah. That's all you, that's yeah, all you yeah. I do
0: is just their 40-minute rate. Uh Jones, Achor, I think those guys are really good. You know, They've got some great role players too. Nathan Johnson, obviously a terrific bench shooter. Transferred in from UNBC last year. Um, they got several. Other, uh, Campbell is good. Uh, Hicks can be really good. Obviously was a great scorer at Alabama A&M. They're, they've got so much depth, uh, but the, the players that really stick out to me is the guys that you need to win games. Achor and Jones in particular uh, have helped that team out a lot and Chor is going to get the credit, and he deserves to get the credit because he's had some phenomenal games. Teams have been daring him to shoot threes, and he takes them. He hits big shots. Uh, But Rylan Jones, I'm telling you, you watch him play, and you watch the way that he can move defenses around to create offense. You do not have the number three scoring offense in the country if you don't have Rylan Jones running the point.
1: Well, Nehal. 79. What was an entertaining game? There were yeah, eight that ties. was super back and forth. I think it was eight ties, 18, 19, 18 lead changes. Yeah. But and again, I mean, Wafford made
0: just a, a metric butt ton of threes. It was it 17? 17.
1: Yeah, and Sybil's. Yeah.
0: What did Sybil's. Sybil's actually didn't hit that many. No, I, I thought he, he hit was, a lot more than uh, that. He was one of
1: three. Yeah. And, uh, Dylan Bailey had four, five for uh, uh, Cormier. Yeah. Chase Cormier, sorry, showing a blank. Five of six. He's Yeah, he was – they were just – they couldn't miss. As I mean, a team, they couldn't miss. I mean, Sanford, hit, Sanford had four guys hit three threes. Campbell, Jones, Grazani, and Hicks all hit three threes. So they had 12. And hung on 11 of 14 free throws. That, that, that was a big one, right? Two. Yeah. Four, so the opposite of ETSU, two of four for Wofford, 11 of 14. So 11 uh, makes compared to four attempts, and then nine extra points from the charity stripe.
0: But that's what makes Wofford scary is they can just light it up from three against anybody in the country. And I do think eventually Sanford's, Sanford can be a bit turnover prone. I know they only had 11 last night, but they, they can be a bit turnover prone and their defense can be a bit leaky. I think that will catch up with them at some point. But they play at such a breakneck pace and they have real talent at the top of the lineup that can overcome a lot.
1: Can I give big man love to two players in that game? Yeah. Okay. Kyler Filowich, 10 points, 10 boards, 6 assists, a chore, chore, 7 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, had,
0: he did have 8 assists. I, yeah. mean, but,
1: I mean, even the 6 assists for Filowich, I mean, you're talking about two big guys in which those systems don't really say, pound kick the ball back inside, out. right? <laughs> that's not a lot of... And it. if
0: it does go inside, it doesn't kick back out. Yeah. Like, you're going up with it.
1: Yeah. So, it's, it's an interesting... Uh, you know, a lot of times you get it, you know, it's, so kind of like a lot of uh, mid-major leagues, it's a It's interesting. Both guys, you know, a double-double for fillerwich and also had a chance, a few assists away from a triple-double. And then you're talking a couple of points, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, a uh, triple-double for a chore So, anyways, the big bout. But that was a, that was an entertaining game as ETSU's game. I tried to tune in, and the Citadel-Firming game was already in overtime, and I was like, eh, I kind of knew how that was going to go. I, and was, I, I was multi-screen viewing end. at
0: home. I did not get a chance to watch the end of uh, Chattanooga and Western Carolina, but uh, the Catamounts have some soul-searching to do. I mean, they lost a, four of five. But they gave up
1: 50 in the second half. They did. 50. That's, that's, that's hard to do. And, you know, that I will say Western just kind of score watching that one in particular. You know, it was a ten-point game, pretty late in the game, and then Western was able to, like, Western does able to hit some shots and, and kind of got it again to a one score game and then, uh, uh, or I got to four points 87-83 with 16 seconds to go, and then again great job by Chattanooga to kind of stiff arm them. Trey Bottom hit a couple of free throws and then um, uh, who was it? Then it was a Woolbright layup. Trey Jackson a chance at three left but anyways. Yeah, Bonham he, hit more than a couple of free throws yeah, that, well, uh, last he night. Was, he was he was, solid he was fantastic. Again, again, he's he's between now that he he can play Hunter Huff. I mean the, the, that that VMI combination, if you look at them the last several weeks and just combine them, I mean they're they're averaging well over forty points a game and, between and the two last Tip of the weeks. cap to Jan Zedek. I mean, you just gotta tip your cap to the guy. And he had a couple of free throws last night too. Uh, I think I think he had a couple of free throws last night. <laughs>
0: Uh, they get they get they get him some free throws from the free from the uh, three point line. They get him some open looks. Well, he had as many made
1: threes as he did free throws. He had four four for nine for three and four four from one. but he had a couple late free throws. Oh, is that was thinking, all? Is that all? Just four four of nine.
0: Just four of nine from three. Yeah, that's a, yeah he was a, three of three from two. In case you're wondering, Zidick is a problem, and, and it just he just how do you lose track of a guy that size on the perimeter?
1: That's I, a good question,
0: I, because he gets so many open. It's it's got to be something in, you know, in in the actions that they run.
1: I don't know why they don't play him and Sam Alexis together more. Oh man, don't give chat ideas. That's true. You gave Chattanooga an idea, man. Dan, don't play either one of them. How about that, there's an idea. There's yeah, there, there's great advice. There's great advice from Jay Sandoz. You're great. Advice. <laughs> You're genius. You're gonna win a lot of <laughs> games over. All right, real quick. We talked about the Furman game. Um, again, v- VMI at home always a little tougher than they are on the road, and and they
0: scrapped their way back into one against Chattanooga. I think or UNC uh, UNCG, Sorry, uh, that was oh God, that was a fifteen point game with, it was an eighteen point game,
1: maybe with eight minutes and, left. They got it down to five. And again, VMI, you talking about scrapping. They had fifty in the second half, mm-hmm. and they were able to hit a lot. Again, they're kind of built on that. But they only had six threes. They got to the free-throw line, 23 of 26 from the line for VMI. Greenfield, not bad from the line either, 19 of 24. But, I mean, you're talking about five guys in double figures really spreading the wealth around for UNCG. And, honestly, um, you know, Brandon Watkins is a guy that's not going to get a lot of love because VMI is particularly not real good. But he is pretty solid when you get to watch him play in person. Like, he's one of those guys, again, he's got some numbers – and you're thinking well, he's the best player on. Uh, we're going talk about maybe in women's basketball a second, but the best player on the team and getting a lot of shots. But he does a lot of other things. That I think really kind of help out his squad. But anyways, UNCG uh, with that win, and so taking a look at the standings um, going into at the turn to the, at the back nine this weekend. Now there's a big one on Sunday. It's going to be UNCG and Furman. But standing Sanford at eight one, UNCG and Chad at seven and two. Furman at six and three, then you got Western and Wofford at five and four, ETSU three and six, Mercer two and seven, and then the Academies sitting there at one and eight. And then this weekend's games: VMI Mercer to talk can Mercer, man, if VMI were to go into Mercer and win that, I mean that would be huge for the Keydets and not so good for Coach Craig Gary. Citadel's obviously at ETSU, couple of three games that are intriguing: Western and Wofford because they both sit at five and four. It's got to be 5-5 five and five at the end of that. Will Wofford, you know, kind of start coming back down or playing at home? Will it be losing five of six for the Catamounts? And we'll know a little bit more about them. Chattanooga had a tough loss at Sanford earlier this yes. year. Can they avenge that on Saturday? And UNCG and Furman, because UNCG kind of hanging on, we thought for sure they were locked into that, that kind of two seed, but that loss to Mercer kind of head-scratching. So, again – what do they do with, with Furman 6-3? Because Furman able to give uh, UNCG their third loss. They're clawing right back in that. Especially if Sanford knocks off Chat, and all of a sudden Furman's back in the mix for the two scene again. So, I, again, a lot of it's not as intriguing as a couple of Wednesdays ago, but this is pretty intriguing. I still think we're going to have
0: some chaotic stuff happen. There's going to be it, it, conference play. Do not underestimate the ability of random nonsense to happen. But I just I just like calling it the back nine. Are you ready for some golf? I, I know you're ready for some golf. You were talking to Trey Lamb about uh, about hitting the links earlier this morning.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I want to play, but he's very good. He is. He's very. Every good. time we get he's a new football coach, they get better and better at golf. <laughs> oh, we need tour bush days back. He was terrible. Uh, you know who else is good at golf? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to, uh, I think it's pretty good go. I, I had to I had to set that one up. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm just
0: I'm so proud of that. That's one of my finest moments uh, since I came back to the network. Right, let's let's talk a little bit of uh let's talk a little bit of women's basketball, shall we? I think we should transition and talk about a little bit of uh, the other ETSU basketball team's got some big home games coming up Alright, over to Soups on the Jay and Keith show, tough one at UNCG last Saturday with a fourth quarter collapse that squandered a really good effort offensively from Bree Beatty, and uh, the Bucks lost 54-50 to UNCG, That's that's tough because I know it sounds ridiculous because we're five games into the season, but that may cost ETSU the number one seed, because Chattanooga won that game. And, and there's
1: four less conference games on the women. There's side.
0: four fewer conference games. You you're already five of fourteen after this weekend. You'll be at the halfway mark, and ETSU has to win both these games to have a shot at the SoCon regular season title. Really, to just be in the in the catbird seat for the two seed, you need to win both of these, and and go get. You know, because Wofford is Wofford's four and one now. Um, got to win these two games that are good matchups for you. I think Furman's a good matchup for ETSU. Wofford we know is a good matchup for ETSU because it's the same style that they played last year and um, the absence of Ja'Kia Davis I think hurt ETSU on Saturday a little more than it did last Thursday. Offensively got to get some things going. I think Beatty going five, of, was it 5 of 12 from the field but like 5 of 10 from 3 that's going to help you out a lot. That that helps a lot, uh, but offensively things got to get going because they held they held UNC it still held UNCG to 54 points in the at the end of it all, and if you hold teams to 54 you should be winning basketball games, um, so if the Bucks do that again tonight I'd expect them to win. If the Bucks do that on Saturday against Wofford I definitely expect them to win at Freedom Hall. These are two big ones for for ETSU for sure because they are already a little bit under the gun to do what was expected of them in the regular season and position themselves for the best path through the tournament.
1: Well, again, uh, this is a huge stretch um, for the Terriers because they could sweep Chattanooga and tissue on the Tennessee swing, be sitting there at 6-1. Chad would be at worst. Well, it could be 6-1 and one if they knock off Furman, right? and ETSU beats Furman, and then we're to lose would be four and three in two games. So it's a huge stretch yeah. for Wofford. Are they pretenders? Are they contenders? ETSU, same thing. Can they knock off Furman and Wofford sitting there at five and two? And Wofford loses chat, loses ETSU. All of a sudden they're at four and three, kind of looking Right. Chatt.
0: Well, I mean, you think about it. If ETSU wins both and Wofford splits, or no, Wofford.
1: Yeah, well, Wofford it would help splits. ETSU and Wofford splits. Yeah. Then chat
0: is, what, five and one? Wofford is 5-2. and Chat beats 6-1. Chat beats 6-1. 6-1, 5-2. ETSU is 5-2. Chatt- ETSU has Chattanooga at home. The title race is back on. So you really want Wofford to beat Chattanooga tonight in addition to ETSU getting the win over Furman if you want to create some intrigue at the top of the SoCon. Otherwise, because if ETSU loses this game to Furman and Chat beats Wofford, that's kind of over. Chattanooga is rolling. That team is so good and consistently good. If they're I mean the the winning record last year in the Silcom was what, ten and four? I think it was the title winning record Wofford won the regular season outright at ten and four. Ten and four. But they were one and three against DTSU and Chattanooga. So these are bad matchups for them. And if you find a way to win this game tonight, if you're Wofford, okay, you're thinking, all right, we're in the title fight, fight's on, we got the upper hand, you go on. ETSU, your Stanley Rodney you lose the ETSU, suddenly ETSU's thinking, all right, fight's on. We're in it. We've got we've got some things that are gonna help us out. We have the opportunity to maybe sweep Wofford. We have the opportunity to um, to win uh, against Chattanooga at home. This is uh, this is a big moment. So you could you can really inject yourself back into the title fight and open things back up. But if chat sweeps and ETSU splits. It gets tough. It gets really, really difficult for anybody. I think to catch Chattanooga if they're six and one, or seven and zero, or seven or you know, and you look at Wofford
1: and Furman, both those teams. Wofford's two and six on the road this season, That includes some money games though. Furman three and six on the road in league play. They're both one and one. And you look at Chattanooga. Chattanooga at home this season, overall nine and one. ETSU ten and one. And so you're talking about a tough task for Wofford. And honestly, we've made um, light of uh, the SOCON and how bad their home records have been. But the last couple of years they're starting. I mean, there's only one team that doesn't have a home winning record. That's Western Carolina at 3-10. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mercer's 6-3, and three, Furman 8-2, and, and everybody else has one home loss. Chat, Wofford, ETSU, UNCG, and Sanford, one home loss. So the league is starting to slowly creep up from where it was maybe at the higher 20s of the RPI net, depending on which one you want to look at for conference, uh, toughest conferences. Now they're starting to creep up in the, in the lower 20s, which is a great cry from where they were several years ago, where it was truly one of the bottom uh, leagues, and it goes with home, but life on the road for Wofford, again, I think we'll learn a lot about the Terriers. Are they contenders or pretenders? If if they lose both tight games, I mean, I think you could chalk it up to, okay, well, it's on the road to set another, but, but Wofford think they really played tight games versus Chattanooga and ETSU last year. Did no, they? Aren't they both kind of. Uh,
0: Wofford's losses to ETSU were both double digits, and I believe they split with Chattanooga.
1: Yeah. And then Chattanooga beat them in the championship, in the championship game, game. Yep. pretty pretty he's handily he's in that one. Yeah. So I mean, four out of five, I, I'm thinking are double digit losses. So it's tough for so for Jimmy Garrity and his squad and Rachel Rose. I think they've got to, you know, it's it's a this is a must split for them you know, to kind of stay in. And if they swept, obviously they're in great position. But uh, a must to stay in the, uh, the regular season race as of right now, because obviously if Watford were to split, but split were them losing to Chad beating ETSU, now ETSU's going to be behind the eight ball quite a bit because now they got to make up, you know, three games on Chattanooga that, that could be possibly undefeated at the time under that scenario. So a lot of work to go. Now, again, I think for ETSU, it, it's a, you know, you're still almost finishing the first half of the year. I think you just have to worry about getting wins, right, and see where the chips fall. But I think it starts tonight with Furman be a good opportunity for them to get back in the win column and Brooks Gym the think pink game, all the stuff that goes on with that. But certainly get that one and then turn their attention. You know, hopefully um, knock off Furman, maybe not have to sweat it out like they have in some years past, but, you know, pick up a nice, hopefully, double-digit win and then let Wofford and Chattanooga kind of battle it out and then see what, where the chips fall. Saturday, that one also going to be in a different venue. That'll be at At Freedom Hall. That's a doubleheader with the men. So we'll see how the the Wofford Terriers, I don't know how that affects them. They play in a pretty good building in the Jerry Richland Endor. That's fine. So I I don't think that's Um, a huge difference. I I will
0: say Furman tonight, this is a team that I think has some talent on the top end. Jada Sessions pretty good. Obviously Tate Walters coming back from a a catastrophic injury, suffered in preseason last year, uh, is going to be – Impactful player and has been an impactful player for them. I'm a big fan of Sydney James. I think I had her on my All Conference ballot last year. I have to go back and look, but uh, they've got some talent. What they don't have is depth. Uh, they really don't have a lot of depth. They kind of rotate six. Uh, you see a couple players. It's, it's kind—I guess it's kind of eight, but it's not really like there. There are f- uh, five players that play 23 plus there's one that plays about 15, Kennedy Greer, and then you get 13 from Jalen Acker, who's been in and out of the lineup. She's healthy right now. And then and then uh, um, Paraskevi-Koilia, the Greek point guard, uh, plays about 11. So there's not a, a ton of depth there. If they get into foul trouble, if Walters has to come out, especially if Kate Johnson has to come out or James has to come out, they get into some trouble. And you know, I think it's a good matchup for ETSU because Jada Session is Bree Beatty's primary matchup, and Beatty has been the stopper for the Bucs this year. She's really, really good. You get you know, Walters probably on DeVay Brown, and you have the ability to bottle up the Spurman offense that can be pretty explosive. I think they're a pretty good – they're an okay three-point shooting team. Um, the, the big thing, though, is just going to be – If you guard their top two players really well, I think ETSU has more depth than Furman does and that will allow the Bucs to win this game. This should be this is a game that should be like six to eight point margin the whole way. I think it'll be down to the wire, but this is a game that ETSU can very much win and has to win. I think that's the
1: key. Has to win. I think they've certainly got to be able to do that today and pick up the win. Um, Again, again talking about championships and all that, you know, does it really matter for at-larges and things like that? Of course not. But you want to position yourself the best route in the conference tournament to try to get those three wins um, because there's really no – there's not a whole lot of advantage in the women's side where on the men's side at least the ones people have to play – You know, a game before they go and all that. The the advantage of
0: being the one seed is you get to play hands down the weakest team in the conference in Western Carolina. Right. That's
1: the advantage this year because right now you can make an argument that's a pretty good seven seed Mercer. It's giving people fits, gave ETSU fits in the first matchup. So that's a tough matchup. They should have beat Wofford. They should have beat Wofford. And uh, if some of
0: Evans hits literally any shot, they
1: do. So, again, a big, big difference on that. So a, a pretty must win, I think, especially at home. For ETSU versus Furman and would set up, uh, I think, a pretty good bout. No matter what Wofford does against Chattanooga, another uh, situation where they can't drop one uh, Saturday over and Freedom Hall for the double dip. Western Carolina
0: wraps up the first half of the season. Everybody else's first half of the season on Saturday, but Western has the bye week. They have the extra couple of days off. They play UNCG at home. All right. Uh, that would be the that w- that would would be one. If you wanted to be the spoiler, you could be the spoiler For UNCG by hanging an L on them because you had that extra time to prepare. I I just don't know if they have the horses. So women's game tonight Freedom Hall. The double dip
1: on Saturday, and so we'll cover that all next week. Uh, And take a look around Southern Conference as well because there'll be some more standings to talk about, especially on the women's side. We'll look at where that. How about this one? Western Carolina
0: plays at Wofford next week. Women's hoops at 11 a.m. on a Thursday. It's their Education Day game. Western, if you're going to give yourself an advantage, let's go. At Wofford. I was like, what? What? Why do you need to play Western at eleven? Okay. I guess I figured nobody would show up to that one in the regular out That hurts. <laughs> oh, that hurts. All right, <laughs> that's just me. That Lots he of basketball did. this weekend. That was Keith Break's comment. Jay He said it. I didn't.